You're listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm so glad you're listening. My name is Todd Stiles, and I'm the host of Neighbors and Nations, a podcast designed to stir within us a heart for missions both local and global. Today, my guest is Dr. David Nelms. David is president and founder of the Timothy Initiative, and David has also been a pastor for well over two decades, different locations and places. He's planted a church. He's led an established church. He's restarted a church. Few men I know have a heart for outreach and missions like David Nelms. He's got a do-whatever-it-takes kind of mentality for the sake of those who've yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And I think you'll hear this loud and clear in this episode. Personally, I know this because I worked for David on his staff for about three years when he was the pastor of Grace Church in Des Moines, Iowa. I was the youth pastor there during that time, and it was then that God really ignited in my heart a passion and desire for church planting. So I'm glad you're tuning in today as I get to interview and converse with an old friend for sure. So let's get right to that conversation with David Nelms here on this episode of Neighbors and Nations. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm thrilled, and that's not an understatement at all, to have as our guest today, Dr. David Nelms. Uh, David and I not only share a common heartbeat for neighbors and nations, but David was my former boss. He um, is probably the guy God used to introduce church planting to me, and I'm by no means of an expert, but it did settle in my heart really deeply. And David, I have a lot to thank you for, and I want to welcome you today. Uh, glad you're here on Neighbors and Nations. Oh, man, I'm just thrilled to be with you, Todd. And it's uh, uh, if we had about 100 more just like you, we might could get something done in this country. <laughs> Well, I want to hear more about TTI in a moment, but first, let me just ask you this. I know you just returned from Myanmar, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but yeah. uh, the results I saw there that you uh, posted, they're just almost unbelievable. Can you yeah. walk us through some of that? Yeah, it's, it's you know, the church is growing all over the world, Todd. About the only place it's not growing is Western Europe and North America. Asia is seeing an incredible, almost everywhere, there are a few pockets of resistance, but Myanmar is a Buddhist country. I think it's probably 80, 85% Buddhist would be about right. And in five years there, we're five years old, we've seen over 2,500 churches started. And on this past trip, I saw something twice that previously I'd never seen anywhere lined up across the front of little churches, maybe three, four years old at the oldest, because we've only been there five years, but line up across the front of the church, two different places, several hours apart from each other. I saw 13 generations of disciple makers. That is the guy on the left, led the guy next to him to the Lord, discipled him. He led the gal next to him and discipled her, and she led the gal next to her, and she led the guy next to him. 13 generations. Wow. And of course, behind each of these, uh, there were, I don't know how many more. And in fact, in one of the churches, there was actually 14 generations, but the 14th guy just got baptized and he was still getting ready. They, they, they put the line up before he could get uh, dried off and changed. So I'm sitting there thinking, I've never in my life seen 
14 generations of disciple makers over a, say, three-year period. And on this trip, I got to see it twice. I mean, can you imagine that in the States? I mean, that would be every pastor's yeah. dream. So That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, wow. and then uh, along with it, Myanmar is one of those places where they build houses out in the middle of these lakes up on stilts. And there's no roads. I mean, you got to take a boat to get there. The, the, the towns are laid out like regular towns. They have roads, but they're not dirt roads. It's just water. They, they grow their crops on the water. And I was in one little village of about 4,000 people where we have seven lake churches. And it's just, just amazing. Just uh, one house had 40 Buddhists in it. The young girl came to Christ. She became a Timothy. She had 25 of her Buddhist family members to, to Christ, Todd. They started a church there, 25 of them. And I'm sitting there thinking, I haven't led 25 Buddhists to the Lord in my entire life. And this little girl, been a believer maybe a year, year and a half. So it's just, I'm just like, man, this is Book of Acts stuff. It was and fun. You've got, and you've got a front row seat to that. Yeah. So yeah. does it frustrate you that more of that kind of information or more of those stories aren't circulating here in um and why aren't we hearing more of that, if I can just ask you that? Well, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, many times when we share the stories, people don't believe it. I mean, I have people, really? tell, yeah, they just don't believe it. And I say, well, man, I, I'm there. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. I think we're, we're a very distracted uh, culture. We have so much stuff and we're just distracted. I mean, we've got, uh we, we got so much going on. We're so busy. And I, I think our, our idea of Christianity is maybe a little bit uh, uh, weakened down also, I think. Yeah. I wonder if those distractions have not made us deaf. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Stories are amazing. Wow. Well, I know that we partner together with some work in Sudan um, with TTI and I won't go into that in depth about our partnership right now, but again, Sudan is holding incredible. Uh, there's so many neat things happening there with your church planters and uh, who you're training. Can you give us a little insight into that nation and what God's doing there through your ministry? Well, Sudan is a tough place. It's uh, borders the southern border of Egypt, and it's pretty much under Sharia law. There's been a lot of war fighting there over the last, I don't know, probably 20 plus years. In fact, just a few years ago, the country divided into two countries, South Sudan and then uh, Sudan. And that's where you guys are working. And it's, it's pretty much all Muslim there and, and can be pretty radicalized. Uh, some of your listeners will remember a few years back, Darfur, all the people that were killed there. And that's in Sudan. And we're, uh, it's, it's not an easy place to go, but we've seen about, uh, I don't, I think the last record, so over 300 churches have been started there. And some of them are just amazing stories. I mean, people are displaced. They've run for their lives. They've lost everything. Their family's all killed. And there's a hopelessness and a, a hunger. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's many are coming to Christ wow. and, and paying a price for doing so. And by the way, that's another, going back to your previous question, when, when people have nothing and they're desperate, they're more likely to be open to, to the Lord than when people have, I mean, think about it. If you and I get sick, we go get some medicine. We don't have any medicine. We go to Walgreens. If they don't have it, 
we go to the clinic. Uh, where we work in Sudan, there's never been a clinic. There's never been a Walgreens. <laughs> Nobody has medicine at home. So they get sick, they either die or they, they pray, and hopefully God answers. So. Wow. And, you know, theologically, doctrinally, that is really how we're to come to Christ as a beggar. We don't bring anything to the table anyway, right? Yeah. So I can see what you're saying. It's it's sometimes God uses those things to turn our attention, and maybe that's goes to our own distraction here in this hemispheres. I think so. so many things we can't even see clearly God's heart for the nations. Well, I don't know if we are the Laodicean church in Revelation or not. That's debatable. But this much I do know, we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But at the same time, we are poor and miserable wow. spiritually. That's good, David. This turned into a preaching seminar here, my friend. <laughs> hey, so I'm sure a lot of folks are probably wondering, okay, so what's this work in Sudan, the work in Myanmar? Um, walk us through just succinctly what TTI does, what it stands for, and um, how you go about such uh, involving yourself in such incredible places for God's purposes. Yeah, well, TTI is based on 2 Timothy 2.2, which I believe is the top disciple-making verse in the Bible. Uh, You know it. I'm sure most of your listeners do. But for those who don't, Paul discipled Timothy, who discipled faithful men, who discipled others also. So you've got four generations there. The idea is is God has not called us to be disciples, but disciple-makers. And I believe you see that if you look at Matthew 28, very closely. The first time Jesus gave the Great Commission, he did say, go make disciples. But then he said, teach them, those new disciples, to obey everything I've commanded you. He just commanded them to make disciples. So the Great Commission, we would say, is not so much making disciples, but making disciples who make disciples. Mm, and that good. that is a major uh, problem here in the United States, because I don't think the average Christ follower even understands he's supposed to be making. <laughs> he thinks that's your job. That's why he's paying you. <laughs> and so he thinks uh, he doesn't get that. So he, he, they're not doing it because they don't even know they're supposed to do it. And for that matter, I think if we ask the average Christ follower to define what is a disciple, I think what we would end up with is something related to knowledge, spiritual growth, uh, information, information, knowledge. It's, it's all knowledge based. And we believe that when you really uh, dive into the scriptures again, it's obviously you got to have knowledge to obey. But James said, if you hear it, but do not do it, you have deceived yourselves. And so we believe our whole system is, 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 a, is it's a deceived system. We, we, we've gotten our minds that if we teach people really good sermons, I mean, we really craft them well and illustrate them and, and communicate well, that they will grow, that they will mature. Well, some do. But the Pharisees, I think, learned it all. I think they could quote most of it, but they sure weren't doing it. And so we would say the, what we need, to, we need to move from a knowledge-based to more of an obedience-based uh, system. And some people, to some people, that sounds a little legalistic. So I say call it love-based because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So call it a love-based discipleship. But the idea is I think we need to intentionally, and that's the key word, intentionally focus overwhelmingly on not so much attracting a crowd, but on raising up the crowd we have 
training them to go out, lead others to Christ, and and then focus on making a disciple maker out of that new believer. And Todd, we would define a disciple as someone who lives like Jesus, which means the great commandment, loving God, loving people, and they lead others to do the same. That's the evangelism part. And so I think what we've got to do is, is I'm not against a crowd. You worked with me for years. <laughs> you know, I counted everything, man. I counted the bathrooms. I counted everything. <laughs> so I'm not against reaching a crowd. In fact, if you got a hundred chairs, I don't know why you wouldn't want to have a hundred people sitting there and do it again and do it again. So I'm not anti-crowd, but, but we both know, we all know that having a crowd and making disciple makers is not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, the one right. can lead to the other, but they're not necessarily the same thing. So, so we think, we think, uh, yeah, have the weekend. I would say Jesus was a mega church preacher. He preached to thousands, but man, there's no doubt about it. He focused intentionally on those 12 yes. and those 12 turned the world upside down within 30 years. That's kind of what John six illustrates. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's what I think we need to do. I think we, uh, I see, I I think it's both. And we preach to the crowds. We, we attract, I can use that word, the masses and we will reach some that way. But, but as soon as that Sunday morning service is over for the rest of the week, I think we need to be intentionally zeroed in on discipling faithful people. Second Timothy two, two faithful people, those who want to be discipled with the intentional intent of turning them into disciple makers. And when I watched TTI kind of get off the ground and was hearing about this, um, I think it seemed like there were three barriers that you removed that I think really helped this flourish in other countries. Uh, And if I'm wrong on these three, just correct me, but weren't they no salary, no building and uh, no degree and, and, I'm, I'm phrasing it in the negative. It's not meant to be negative, but it seems like removing those barriers has just helped TTI to blossom in places. Yeah, I, I call them, Todd, the three S's, salaries, seminaries, and sanctuaries. Okay. And it's, it's easier for me to remember it that way. But And there's there's nothing wrong with any of those three. They're all great tools. The problem is they slow down your ability to reproduce mm. and multiply. Okay. For example, if you're going to pay the church planter, then if you want to have two church planters, you got to pay them both. And if you want to have three, you got to pay all three. And so pretty soon you hit a ceiling on what you can afford. Same thing on the sanctuaries. If you build one a building, you've got to build the other one the building. And then the next one, the next one, you run out of money. On the seminary, the degrees, nothing wrong with a degree. However, it takes time. And and so if you're going to put everybody through a seminary process, you really slow down, you slow everything down just dramatically. And if you go back to Acts, Jesus didn't pay those guys salaries. I don't think he built any of them a building. And he didn't tell any of them enrolled in the local Bible college or seminary. He taught them. And see, we believe the local church is the best place to train disciple makers. Mm-hmm. We believe the local church is the very front lines. I'm not anti-Bible college. I'm not anti-anything. Todd, the guy that mentored me used to say, if a dog comes to town barking for Jesus, I'll throw him a bone. (laughs) They're barking for Jesus. They're on my side. I'm on their side. But those three S's slow down the process of being able to reproduce, which means you don't multiply, which means if you're growing, you're growing by addition. 
And that's our problem in the United States. We're trying to grow by addition and we're getting beat. We've got to grow by multiplication. We've got yeah. to. I, that's one thing I've always loved about talking with you. I feel like even when I worked for you, uh, there was always such a, a passion. Like you said, you wanted a crowd. We wanted to, we wanted to reach our city together. And as part of your staff, we knew that was your heartbeat, but there was always such a keen insight into the hurdles that were in our way. And I've always appreciated your ability to spot those and try to remove them. And, um, you know, sometimes that does lead to misinterpretation, but man, I really value the way you just kind of earmarked those things. And it's proven by what's happening across the nations with TTI. Um, yeah, and I think sometimes people can miss this. Your heartbeat for the nations is not an either or thing because you did pastor here in America. You planted a church here in America. Uh, you were part of a large church. And in fact, TTI grew out of that church in Florida. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Yes. So we've got a lot of pastors listening. Um, help those guys balance, help me help us balance this neighbors and nations. And so we're not always, you know, going to one or the other. I mean, you've been in those shoes, you've walked those roads. Yeah, I started a church from scratch. I restarted the one in Iowa where you and I were okay. 11 people when I got there. At least that was the vote, 11 to nothing. Well, we'll call that a church plant then with 11. <laughs> yeah. Three of those left before I got to town, by the way. Oh. So we were down to eight. So in my mind, it was kind of a start. But And then I took a, a nice-sized church in, in Florida. So I've done all three. And, you know, Todd, one of my favorite verses is Acts 1.8. It's it's the very last words Jesus spoke, the last red letters. And uh, Jesus told us there that the Holy Spirit would come. By the way, that's the key, or he's the key. The Holy Spirit is the key, okay? He said you will receive dynamite, dunamis, power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he said you'll be my witnesses. And he said in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In that verse, there is no or. It's not home or uh, stateside or globally. Mm -hmm. That's it's true. not here or there. There is no or. There are four ands. It's, it's, it's all of the above. It, it is the neighborhood. It is the nations. It's all of it. It's clearly the Great Commission. And by the way, not only is there no or in that verse, there is no please in that verse. It's, <laughs> it's not a request. Mm. He's not asking us. And so uh, to me, it's just, it just clears a nose on your face that, that you guys there in Ankeny, you have a responsibility to, to reach out to everybody in Ankeny, but you also have a responsibility to the world. Now, obviously, your primary field is going to be where you are. I mean, that's where you're located. But, but it's not either or. It is both and. So when you were pastoring, did you take this sequentially? Did you start, let's say, with your inner circle and move out? Um, how did you, or did you just drop all the four of it on your church at the same time? Like, help us practically kind of walk through keeping a neighbors and nations mindset. Yeah, well, I've never been accused of being a strategic thinker, okay? <laughs> so uh, I pretty much do things intuitively. And obviously, you start where you're at. There's an old, old song. I don't know if you remember, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. That thing's real old but you, you brighten the corner where you are, you, you bloom where you're planted. Okay? okay. And so you start where you are, but as soon as you, as soon as you begin to reach some people, you begin discipling them. And again, to disciple someone means to teach them to live like Jesus, which means how did Jesus live? He loved his father. 
He loved people. If you love God, you're going to want people to give honor and glory to God. If you love people, you're going to want them to know God in heaven and have their sins forgiven. You cannot love, you cannot live like Jesus and not reach the lost. You cannot. Amen. And, and you cannot read the Bible without seeing that God so loved the world that he cares for everybody. So as soon as you reach one or two people, you just start teaching them that. And, and the way I always did it was, you know what? We can't go to Sudan. We can't go to Pakistan. Uh, we can't get a visa there. And we probably don't really want to go anyway, but we can pray for those who are willing to go and we can help send them. We can help support them. And so I, I believe a church is healthy when it's, uh, I just believe you just need to divide up everything, time, emphasis, uh, resources, everything. I think the priority needs to be at home because that's where you are. You have a greater capacity, I guess would be the word, to, to reach people there. But, but listen, a good chunk of your budget, a good chunk of your time needs to be focused not just on your immediate area, but your Judea, your state, county, state, Samaria. And I would define Samaria as close by, but a different culture. Okay. okay. Uh, close by, but in, in Ankeny, you got a lot of Samaritans in your area. And by the way, that by different culture, I don't just mean a different race or color or language, but uh, there's a big, you can have a, a, a group of bikers, Hell's Angels, on the same block as a nursing home. And the cultures are dramatic. I mean, the mm. one is Samaria to the other. The culture is all the difference in the world. So close by, but a different culture, and then ends of the earth. And I think a church, if it's balanced, needs to have a strong emphasis on, on all of those four. You know, I would encourage any pastor listening or even any elder, any church leader, one of the ways that I think God worked in my heart was to expose me to nations like you're talking about, other cultures, whether it be Samaritan type or even uh, closed, you know, least access areas, because so much of our people's focus is driven by who's in the pulpit, mm -hmm. um, the kind of the rudder of the church, so to speak. And I know in working with you and even just now, your heart consistently communicates to others the need of those who who don't know Christ yet. And I just would encourage pastors get outside of your own uh, corner where you are, you call it, you know, I mean, yes, focus there, uh, but they're probably not struggling to know where they live. They're probably struggling to know about the folks who aren't close to where they are. Mm -hmm. And your heart for the nations will not really be um, massaged and really pumped in the right way until you probably go yourself and visit and see all that's happening across the globe with God's people. So, um, yeah. I don't know if you have opportunities like that for people. I know I've been with you to a couple of trips, at least one, but man, it, yeah. it does your heart good. Yeah, we do. We take trips all the time and our trips are vision trips. We don't go to paint a building or right. we go to, to see a disciple making church planting movement up front. But yeah, you're right. See, if the, if the church is going to have a global heart, it's going to come from the pulpit and for it to come from the pulpit, the pastor has to go see it. I recommend to pastors all the time, take a minimum of one missions trip every year. It'll keep that global fire burning. And, and, and the church, I really think the church should send their pastor. If the church, if the leadership of a church wants there to be a love for the nations, a global disciple making thrust to their church, the pastor has to be exposed to it. Yeah. Uh, let's just pause for a minute. And I want to ask you some questions about 
you know, you talk about the heart for the nations, the heart for lost people that you've got, how pastors can have it. I, in knowing you for a number of years, I know you um, were raised in a very evangelistic and quite conservative environment as a young person. I know that your dad was a big influence on your life. And I, I tend to think God used that probably early. I mean, really early to shape some things in you. Um, can just, just talk to us more now, not as a TTI founder and president, or even as a pastor, talk to us as a person who was really influenced early towards God's work and the need for evangelism. Yeah, Todd, I, I came out of a very uh, extremely uh, fundamentalist legalistic system. And there's much about that that uh, I just do not like. And in fact, uh, uh, my wife tells me I still need therapy. Okay. <laughs> so, and she's right most of the time. That's funny. So there's much about it that, uh, that I'm, I'm not real thrilled about. However, and, and we were raised in similar environments. I yeah. mean, you're older, but I know what you're talking about there. There's, yeah. but my group That's thought amazing. your group were, were liberals. Okay. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> you guys were not liberal by any stretch of the imagination. The, the one thing they taught me though, that I thank God for. I mean, I just thank God for. They taught me that the, well, two things. They taught me the Bible is the word of God. It's true. And they taught me that Jesus is the way. There is no other way. It's Jesus or, or hell. For that matter, they taught me there's a hell. And I don't, I don't believe that, that most of us really believe that stuff. Not really. I think we, we believe it more as maybe uh, doctrines that we can check off, you know. That we or maybe as options to believe you can believe yeah. it or that. Yeah. Listen, I, you have one of the best churches I've been in in a long time. And so this may not apply to, to you guys, but in most evangelical churches in the United States today, if you could take a private survey, you know, uh, where nobody had to give their name and just ask questions, is there any other way to heaven outside of Jesus Christ? Is is uh, is there really a hell where people really go and stay for eternity with no chance of getting out? Is the Bible the purely inspired word of God? If you could give a survey to people under 40 in evangelical churches today, I think we'd be horrified at, at the answers that we would get. We don't really believe this stuff anymore. And what I, what I learned in that system was the Bible is God's word. And there is no hope for mankind outside of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. And there is a heaven and there is a hell. And Jesus is coming again. And I mean, who even thinks about Jesus coming again? Hmm. I mean, we don't even, I think we can go weeks at a time without even, I mean, if you ask us on a questionnaire, do we believe in the second coming of Christ? We would say yes. But it certainly is not changing our behavior. And the Bible says that a, a firm belief in the return of Christ will purify your life. It changes everything, but I don't think it's changing anything because hmm. I don't think we really, really, really believe it. I know that sounds harsh, but that's kind of what I think, Todd. And help, help a parent hear that for a little bit. Would you, who um, I think I'll go back to this word distracted and, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we can debate that. But it does seem as though the um, intensity and the passion for 
absolutes and for values that God holds, uh, that's losing to things like, am I in the right sports club? Do I have the right clothes? Am I, I mean, there's just a, a an exchange of values happening. It's been happening for a few generations now, I suspect, but I, I've always thought like this is something we share in common. We, we really got something in our younger days from our parents and from those institutions with all their negatives, they instilled in us a deep desire to be on God's agenda evangelistically to reach the world. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, uh, we do have that in common. And I can remember as a 14 year old boy with my dad had a big paper out four or 500 pages or papers. And on Sunday, the papers were too big to do it on your bike. So my dad would get up like three 30 in the morning and, and I'd sit in the back of the car and throw out, it was a station or one of those old station wagons and throw out the papers. But dad kept the radio on to a Christian station and it was some guy preaching. And the, 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 the show every week was about leading others to Christ. And so I'd sit there in the car throwing out those papers and just listening to that. And and then I would watch my dad. Uh, my dad became a pastor when he was 70 years old, Todd. Hmm. He had one convert, a little uh, junior high girl, and he baptized her. And then he got diagnosed with brain cancer and died almost immediately. But my dad was maybe the greatest man I've ever known. He, he practiced what I heard preached. And that made, it just, it just, impacted me. He was the best man in my wedding. I have three brothers. He was the best man in all four of our weddings. Wow. That's kind of unique. I think he was just a good man. And so it's one thing to bring your kids to church to hear it. It's another thing to live it at home when nobody's watching sincerely, you know, to really live it. And I was, I tell people all the time, I have no excuse. And I was brought up in, in a good home and I was brought up the right way by parents who practice what they took me to hear preach. That's what, I, that's what I would say to your parents. Live it. Live it at home in yeah. front of your kids. Just live it every day. Yeah, that's great to hear because that's the neighbor concept. Like the paper route story, you know, that's like uh, you're just loving where you are. The people that are right near you. You're serving. You're talking to them. You're hearing messages about reaching people. And then God somehow takes seeds in us like that. And, man, he just exponentially grows them to where – uh, he puts his heart in us uh, for all kinds of places. That's uh, really good. I'd I'd encourage all of our parents just to yeah, keep the Lord's heart in front of your children's eyes and ears as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, in, in light of some of those things about the vision trips, um, even I know your availability to speak, it's probably, I mean, they're, you're available. I know you've got a pretty booked calendar, but if someone wanted to contact you about TTI, um, about speaking or about helping maybe a pastor get to a vision trip. Maybe you want to come speak to the pastor's elders. I don't know. How can they contact you or find out more about TTI? Yeah. Well, first of all, Todd, if, if they're interested in disciple making, I'm, I'm all ears. I'll, uh, I speak in mega churches every year. I speak in storefronts. I don't care where oh. if they want to learn, if they want to grow in that area, I'm no expert, but I'm more than happy to share what little bit I do know. And, the best way to reach me is probably by email and my email address is david at ttionline.org. David at TTI for the Timothy Initiative. David at TTIonline.org. 
Okay. I know you've spoken here and uh, it's, I'll just say when uh, it's a win for the whole church, because David has a unique way to simply communicate obvious truth that a lot of people want to ignore. <laughs> and so it's very helpful to the church. David, one more topic I want to just kind of broach with you. And I think this is probably, if I had to say the one thing that draws me to TTI, it's the incredible way you guys uh, get value from financial investments. And this might help some of our pastors. And and I'm by no means suggesting that we stop giving to other places or that we stop sending. We've sent some folks to Indonesia. We've got several of our own on the field right now. And it's a financial investment. And I'm not against that. Uh, I will say, when you invest in nationals who've been trained in the country in which they already live, the the amount of work you get for your investment is uh, is incredible. Like at the Sudan, we simply invested, I think it was, about $7,000 for a two-year investment in which you trained, I, w- I want to say, 12 to 24 church planters approximately. And you can correct me the numbers here, but it was just $3,700 a year about. And yeah, it, what happened? 300 churches getting planted, multiple church planters. I mean, you couldn't do that in America for anything probably. Yeah, yeah. It's, That's amazing how you guys do that. Well, and let me let – me, uh, let me preface what I'm getting ready to say by, by stating I am a missionary. I'm an American missionary. I believe there's a place and a role for American missionaries. I've got a son that's an American missionary. I've got two brothers. You know them. I think you know one of them at least that are American missionaries. So I'm not anti-missionary by any stretch of the imagination. However, from a, from a purely ROI, return on investment mm-hmm. perspective, uh, when it comes to church planting in the underdeveloped world, at least there's, it's just a, it's, there's just no, just no comparison on the return. I do believe there's still a place for American missionaries, people to do what I do, people to uh, professors, uh, aviation, translation, medical, all kinds of humanitarian, digging wells, all kinds of stuff. There's, there's a, there's a place for us, but when it comes to church planting back in the bush of some third world country, oh my goodness, uh, th- there is no comparison on the on the on the financial uh, cost and the return. We don't pay salaries of church planters. We'll uh, come gen- uh, come this next year, Todd. Early on in 2020, we'll be training over 100,000 church planters slash disciple makers. We will not pay any of them a salary. We don't build buildings. We don't pay salaries. Again, when you take out the building, you take out the salary, you take out the seminary cost. Mm -hmm. It's just not much left. It takes about $300 to train a guy for two years and to graduate, he's got to plant a church and raise up two more disciples that he trains to do the same. There's that obedience based, right? The obedience based. And that guarantees reproduction because uh, it's, it's not Paul training Timothy. It's Paul training Timothy who trains faithful people who train others also. Four generations. Yeah, four generations. Yeah. That's why that 13 generations blew me away. It's like, I can imagine. I've seen six, eight generations, and I see four or five everywhere I go, but 13, and then to see it twice. Wow. That's amazing. Well, David, thanks so much for your time. It's like having a front row seat just talking to you. And I know I wasn't even there, but wow, I love the way God's crafted your heart 
for both neighbors and nations. And I'm praying that God will use this conversation to ignite that even within more pastors um, as we continue to aim for the Great Commission. So thank you, Todd. It's an honor to be your partner, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. God bless you, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Neighbors and Nations podcast. To learn more about how to support this podcast and our partners, go to toddstyles.net slash podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app.